title of the message is Rank in the Kingdom. Rank in the Kingdom. The, this section actually try, goes from verse 7 all the way down to the end of the chapter in verse 30. So this is part 1. Next week we'll do part 2, Lord willing, and finish the rest of Matthew 11. The world we live in is obsessed with rankings. Would everybody agree with that? Who are the richest? Who are the most powerful? Who are the most beautiful? Who are the best entertainers? What class are you in? What tax bracket are you in? What, what's your 401k like? How many people work for you? Or do you work for others? Everywhere we look, competition for, for position. This isn't only an American problem. It's every country in the entire world. Changing classes may be harder in other cultures, but everybody wants to move up in their ranking if possible. And no one by any means wants to move down in class. This was the same in Jesus' day. There has always been a struggle to move up. In our passage today and next week, we will see Jesus explains the world's ranking system is totally opposite of the kingdom of heaven's ranking system. Jesus recalibrates the world's thinking and ways when it came to position. Jesus destroys in very quick order the self-righteous ways of the world. The world of his day that gave prominence to those who were clean on the outside, but wicked on the inside. One's position in the kingdom to come is revealed to be based on only one thing. We will see today a person's rank in the kingdom of heaven is not based on a person's perceived moral character or human abilities. Instead, a person's rank or position in the kingdom to come is directly related to how close they are to King Jesus. Very important. That was a, that was a mouthful, right? Say it again. I'll say it again because I think it's very important. We will see today a, a person's rank in the kingdom to come is not based on a person's moral character or human abilities or bank account. Instead, a person's position in the kingdom to come is directly related to how close they are to King Jesus. That's the important point. Our value is not in ourselves or our morals or our physical abilities, but it is in how well we know and enjoy and depend upon King Jesus. Today we will learn the greatest person in the kingdom to come is the one who is close to the kingdom, or to the king who has come and is coming. So our relationship with Christ is ultimately what it's all about. How we're related to him, how we know him. That's what determines the position of a believer or an unbeliever. Over the next two weeks, we will look at two primary groups of people. And they really are the only two groups of people in the world that have ever existed. Those who delight in the king and therefore are waiting for the kingdom to come. And those, second group, those who will be judged and separated from the kingdom to come. And will be judged by the king. John the Baptist actually becomes Jesus' way of illustrating this truth about the blessing in the kingdom over against the cursed who are outside the kingdom. Remember last week we saw John was struggling with reconciling the Old Testament prophecies of the wrath of Yahweh to come before the kingdom and before the coming of the Messiah. It appears to me that John believed Jesus, the coming one, the expected one, 
would bring the kingdom with judgment and fire. Remember we talked about that? So John couldn't comprehend as he faced jail and facing his imminent death, why wasn't the Messiah bringing wrath on the enemies of God and his people? As we saw, John needed to be reminded that Jesus was the one to come. However, how and when and why things were unfolding in that unexpected way was not for John to understand. He just needed to do what? Trust the Lord. He had to trust the Lord even if it didn't seem to make sense. Even if the unexpected wasn't what he expected, he had to trust the Lord. So as John's disciples leave to bring the message to John from Jesus, Jesus begins a discourse on John's rank in the kingdom. He tells him what his position is. Now look at verse 11. This is the key verse of the section. Jesus starts it with the emphatic, truly, I say to you. That's like, hey, listen up. This is very important. Jesus says, truly, or amen, or you better pay attention when it's very important. This is one of those. Verse 11, truly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Does Jesus talk about rankings? He does. He talks about rankings. And he says, in a sense here, we see... John the Baptist is greater than any man born of a woman up to this point ever. Wow, that's pretty high, isn't he? He's, his rank is where? Way up there. But then he takes this and recalibrates it and says, but he's great, but you know what? The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. What in the world is he getting at? Why would he say this? Is he about positions? Is he about who's higher and greater and lesser? And I thought he just loves everybody, right? He's not about greater rank and lesser rank. Why is he bringing up all this? This is one of those messages you're really going to need to listen to all the way to the end or you might not get it. This is one of these that's going to build. And you're going to be like, what? I don't understand. Keep listening. This is one of those ones that we're just all praying that the kids will help us to pay attention. All those are the parents that have your kids right there, and you're like, shh, this is one you're going to have to pay attention all the way to the end. This one's going to be tough. You're going to need to listen, okay? So here we go. This, this verse, at first reading, is a little strange, but I think it'll unfold. As we unfold the context, you'll understand it better. Put simple... What made John the Baptist great is his special association with Jesus is the point. The king of the kingdom. And we'll see this as we go along. Everyone in the kingdom is even greater than John because their nearness to the king, as we'll talk about. Over the next two weeks, we'll cover two main camps. Those who are with the king and in the king and in the kingdom and those who are outside the king and outside the kingdom. And are under judgment. And you will see that there will be rankings of those that are in judgment. Is there a hotter hell for some than others? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see it next week. We will start with those within the kingdom. And within the king. Jesus starts with John the Baptist. So let's look. The forerunner up to the king. Verse 7. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to see in the wilderness? Or what did you go out in the, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. 
and one who is more than a prophet. Let's stop there. Let's walk down through this and look at these questions. First, we see that he starts with, what did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? What did you go out to the wilderness to see? John the Baptist had been widely known and sought. All of the disciples knew it. The whole area knew it. He had caused quite a stir in the wilderness next to the Jordan River. Droves of people had gone out to see John the Baptist and to hear him preach. Those who knew the truth and were repentant understood John wasn't just a preacher, just another preacher. He was unlike any who they had ever seen or heard before. He was different. And those who God was working in went out to see and to hear John preach. I want to hear this guy because there's something different about this guy, something special about this guy. So when he asked the question, what did you go out to see into the wilderness to see, he's implying, and they knew we went out to see something special, something amazing. It was an implied answer when he asked the question. It's a rhetorical question that they would know. John the Baptist was bold and fiery. He was a no-holds-bar preacher. John was confronting the religious elites of his day. He called the Pharisees themselves. What did he call them? A brood of vipers. That'll get you in trouble. Call the religious people of the day, the ones that were considered the most religious, you call them snakes. He was unashamed to call out sin and to call for repentance. John was anything but a reed shaken by the wind. So when he says that, a reed shaken by the wind, did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? What would be their implied answer? They knew it. No, we didn't go out to see somebody that was what? Blown to and fro. They knew him. He was bold. This was a no way answer. Everybody that heard Jesus answer that asked this question would have said, yeah, I didn't go out to see somebody that was blown to and fro. I went out to see somebody that was bold. He wasn't blown to and fro by anything. He was afraid of no one. He had even publicly rebuked Herod for his immorality, the leader of that area. And what had it gotten him? Arrested. John the Baptist feared no man. Boy, I want to be like that. What about you? Bold, not afraid, and unashamed. Boom. Not blown to and fro. Jesus is implying everyone who had gone out to see John knew John was different. He was bold and courageous. The next set of questions. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Again, the question is almost Babylon Bee-like. Satire. Do you understand? John was not dressed in royal garbs. It would be like if you were doing a Babylon Bee title. It was people go out to see the guy dressed in soft clothing. The implication is, no, it's the opposite of that. It's a satire. Obviously. What was John dressed like? We know. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair. That's not soft garments. And a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. This guy didn't go out in soft clothes and wear clothes that the princes did. He wasn't what? About the world. Jesus' questions were the opposite of who John was. And those Jesus were asking the questions knew it. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces? No way is the implied answer. That isn't who we went out to see. John was bold. 
And he was all about being separate from the world. He didn't care about his wardrobe one bit. He didn't care whether or not he had the finest clothes on and the newest, latest, greatest shoes. This man was not about the world. He was bold, courageous, feared no man, and proclaimed it with directness and courage. So Jesus is asking these questions, what's happening? His case is being made that John is pretty amazing though, right? That John is something. But wait a second, didn't John just ask Jesus, are you the coming one? Didn't he just ask them and it appear that his own expectations were not being met and he couldn't quite comprehend it all? Was he to a degree being blown to and fro? Was he to a degree saying, isn't this supposed to be better now? To a degree he was looking at the world and saying, it just doesn't make sense. But Jesus was correcting that thought and he was saying, no, John got it. John was doing what he was supposed to do. He is who he's supposed to be. So lastly, Jesus asked, but what did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. Uh Uh-oh, ranking again. Ranking. More than a prophet? So who was John the Baptist? He was a prophet, is what Jesus says. One who spoke for God. One who spoke special revelation for God. John didn't see himself as a prophet or anything great. But God was using John to announce great truths. And he had. Prepare the way for the coming one. In fact, Jesus says, John is more than a prophet. What? A higher rank and position than a prophet? This is a high praise, isn't it? A great praise. Think about the the Old Testament. John the Baptist is greater than Isaiah the prophet. John the Baptist is greater than Jeremiah. John the Baptist is greater than Jonah and Malachi and Ezekiel. John the Baptist? More than a prophet? Jesus has just said, John the Baptist, the one who sent the word, was sent into the world. And he was asking, are you really the expected one? Coming one? That same John? Yeah, that same one. That one that didn't have it all figured out. He did believe, but he didn't have it all figured out. And he was struggling a little bit. I believe he was struggling a little bit. How do I reconcile all this? More than a prophet, more than Isaiah, more than Jeremiah. He's more than a prophet. How? How is he more than a prophet? What is God's standard for rankings? How does the Lord judge who is greater or lesser? This is an important question. We will see in a minute. Ultimately, Jesus explains the position ranking by telling them who John is and thus what makes him more than a prophet. He's going to tell them. He's going to answer the question. Jesus tells the listeners... Who John is. Look at Matthew eleven ten. Eleven ten. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Now where's this a quote from? If you're reading your Bible or listening to the Old Testament reading today, you know this is from Malachi three. Chapter 1. Put simple, Jesus says that in some way, John the Baptist 
is the fulfillment of the messenger who went before the Messiah. John is the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. Now, if you go over to Malachi 3, we'll get there in a little bit. In Malachi 3, it gets a little confusing again. Remember, very important for you to understand. I said this last week. Progressive revelation. Progressive revelation means that the picture of the Messiah and His work grew clearer over time as the Scriptures were given. This applies to the forerunner also. This applies, this progressive revelation. This understanding of the forerunner John and who he is and what he's associated with and what he's all about. That progressive revelation also reveals more about him. You remember the the picture I gave you of Aslan, right? And how it grew and clearer and it was better. And as time went along, you saw, oh, it's very clear who he was. Well, it's the same way with the forerunner. The same is true of John. The one John came in the spirit of Elijah. Uh Uh-oh, what in the world are you talking about? Here we go. It's going to get fun. Look at this. In Malachi 3.1 it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Do you all notice something? Look at this. Look at the difference. Matthew 11, verse 10, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Look at Malachi 3.1. Behold, I'm going to send me, or my messenger rather, and he will clear the way before me. What's changed? Pronouns. Pronouns are changed, aren't they? Who's the you and who's the me? It's interesting how the pronouns are changed here. Look at the difference. You see it. If John is the fulfillment of the messenger then who is the you the fulfillment of? If we say, and Jesus said, that he's the fulfillment of 3.1, Malachi 3.1, who does that mean that the you is? Christ, and it is ultimately God. How many of you want a nice proof text that Jesus is God? Here's another one. It's another one, beautiful one. Because when you look at Malachi 3, you can't see that very well. You can look over in your Bibles if you want to. Guess who's saying this? The Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies. Me is Yahweh. And John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the messenger who would come before you, who is me in Malachi 3, which implies what? Jesus is God. And and John the Baptist was the one who was announcing and preparing the way for Yahweh to come. Yet there's still some confusion here. Because as Malachi's passage unfolds in 3.1, it continues to look like something different than what we saw. Matter of fact, if John the Baptist was still hearing this stuff, but he wasn't, right? Why wasn't he hearing it? Because he had already sent them back. The messengers had left. But if he had his Bible, and I believe that John the Baptist already understood Malachi 3, and probably thought of himself as the fulfillment of this, he's reading, and look what it says. Look in your Bibles. If you can't read it, look in your Bibles. 3.1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, Adonai whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. What did he ask John the Baptist? Are you the coming one? Are you the coming one, the expectant one, the coming one? So he's saying, I am that one, by saying that John is the fulfillment of this. But really, look, wait, it it gets even more intriguing. Says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? 
Who can endure the day of His coming? What's the implied answer? No one can endure the day of His coming. Did anybody endure the day of Jesus' coming? Yeah, they killed Him. Uh Uh-oh, we got a problem. Right? Do we have a problem? (laughs) You're like, oh, man, you are just making a big tangled mess, Pastor Mike. Hang in there. And who can stand when he appears? How many stood against Jesus when he appeared? Everybody. Everybody. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. I think John the Baptist was saying, yep, that's me, okay. I was a forerunner. Where's the fire? Where's the fire? Was there fire when Jesus came? He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Who are the ones that killed him? The sons of Levi. They were the high priests and the chief priests that went. So is Malachi 3 even fulfilled? And John the Baptist. Let's keep going. I mean, it's, it's amazing. He will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold or sil- and silver, so that they may present to the Lord's offerings in righteousness. Did that ever happen? No. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. Were they ever pleasing to the Lord? No. As in the days of old and in the, as in the former years, then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earners and his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me. Did this happen? No. Says the Lord of hosts. Has this happened yet? No. This has not happened yet. For I the Lord do not change. Therefore you. O sons of Jacob. Are not consumed. (laughs) So if you're listening. To Jesus reason. You're listening to Jesus and. You've read your Old Testament and you know Malachi. They must have been a little confused here, right? It doesn't look like the king and his messengers were winning. It doesn't look like the kingdom was about to be established. In fact, turn back over to Matthew 11. In fact, it appears that things keep going. As they've been going. Matthew eleven twelve. Look at it. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What in the world does that verse mean? I think, in effect, Jesus is saying with this verse, the king and his kingdom aren't being accepted. They're being rejected. They are not being received. In fact, the king kingdom is being violently opposed, is what it could be translated. John the Baptist is in jail. They hate the truth of the king and his kingdom. They don't want it. Is everybody with me? Are you seeing how this is unfolding? John the Baptist is in jail... The messenger is in jail. The king's going to be rejected. They're even going to take him violently, aren't they? Put simple. If John is the forerunner, why then is the king and his kingdom heralds being rejected? The problem is not John. The problem is... 
is not Jesus. John is doing what he was supposed to do. And Jesus was there to do what he was going to do. But like Jesus had said to the disciples before they were sent out, he says, the time of rejection has come. They're going to reject me. Death and rejection are a part of this age. This is what he said back in chapter 10. And Jesus explains briefly how John is a foreshadowing. Now, I know I'm going to really throw you, but listen closely. You've got to listen. John is a foreshadowing of the final fulfillment of Elijah the prophet. What? You'll get it. Hang in there. It's as if John the Baptist comes in and announces the Messiah to come, fulfilling Malachi 3.1. But... There's a greater one who will come before the Messiah comes. The greater one is who? Elijah. You say, where is Elijah coming? Read Revelation. There's two witnesses, and I believe one of them is Elijah. You can get it as we go along, but let's see. Look, verse 13. He says... For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. In other words, they told him, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. It's been said, it's been said. And if you are willing to accept it, what? If you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. (laughs) Who is supposed to come? John. And who? Elijah, who was going to then tell of the coming one. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, at this point in the room, there might be some in here that have ears to hear. (laughs) And some who don't. What do I mean by that? What does he mean by that? You'll see as we go along. So friends, Jesus once again in his passage gives a glimpse into the great plan of God. John the Baptist was Elijah, is what he says, but not Elijah. He wasn't really Elijah. Was he Elijah? Was he Elijah? All in favor of, was he Elijah? Yes or no? Yes? Well, he says he is. John himself is Elijah. Okay, but now turn over with me to John chapter 1. Is he Elijah? (laughs) Y'all should be confused by now. Is everybody confused? It is my job to confuse you. No. (laughs) I promise it isn't. I promise it isn't. But if you're reading Scripture, you've got to be going, what's this? Right? We need ears to hear. We need ears to hear. John chapter 1, verse 20. And he, this is John the Baptist, confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. Glad he didn't say he was the Christ. That would have really messed things up. They asked him, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. John said he is what? Not Elijah. Jesus said, you are Elijah. I'm confused. Are you the prophet? By the way, that should be, that is the prophet. I don't think a prophet, the prophet. And he answered, no. If you would ask me if I'm a prophet, probably would have had to say yes. I think they're thinking of the prophet Referenced in Deuteronomy, probably. Talking about Jesus being this, the Messiah to come. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent me. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, 
wait a second. So John says he isn't Elijah. But Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. Who has, he who has ears, let him hear. Why would John, or why would Jesus, rather, preface his statement with this? If you are willing to accept it. Why would he do that? Well, it implies what? What I'm going to say seems a little bit strange. What I'm about to say is somewhat hard to accept. Right? Why would he then end his statement with, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It implies what I'm about to say, that John is Elijah, is something that's hard to wrap your mind around. It's going to take what? The Spirit of God working in you to really grab it and understand. Because it takes God-given discernment to understand how John the Baptist is Elijah, but not Elijah. John was the forerunner of the Messiah. John was the forerunner, but he was also a foreshadowing of the forerunner to come. Elijah, to the Messiah at the second coming. So in a perfect way, this is amazing, beloved. you got to track. God set it up that John the Baptist would come in and he would be like Elijah, pronouncing that the Messiah was to come. And when he came, the offer of the kingdom would be there and the king would be offered. And it would look just like Old Testament Malachi 3.1, up till a point. And what happened? They rejected their king. So what has to happen? The full fulfillment of that's going to happen what? When Elijah comes and Messiah comes and he fulfills all of Malachi 3. Why this period? Why this time? So that me and you could be saved. What a glorious truth. Because by the rejection of the king, others can come into the kingdom. And even us, who you wouldn't consider worthy of the kingdom, are great and a part of the kingdom because of the king's rejection and his death for us. This is wonderful news. Why would God do it this way? I believe it's all part of God's amazing plan. Think for a second. I believe the Messiah had to really be offered to Israel first, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. They offered the Messiah. He came. I believe God had to signal out to, uh, to the Jewish people to be recipients of his great grace and the Messiah. He came, and there was a forerunner that was a foreshadowing of Elijah to come. And John the Baptist did this perfectly. And Jesus was offered to his people. But what did they say? No. And what did he become? The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. The Jews rejected him, and he became the establishment of the kingdom. They wanted who instead of Jesus? Caesar. They wanted, however, a warrior king who would deliver. They were reading their Old Testament Bibles and they were applying it to what? Us. We want this now. Ironically, do you know who they apply Isaiah 53 to, the Jews? Nowadays, most of them that don't believe in Jesus. You know who they apply Isaiah 53 to? Themselves. They say they're the suffering servant. Okay, at this point, you may be thinking highly of yourself. I want to warn you. 
you would have made the same choice apart from the grace of God. We are no better. We are all born with these hearts that think we're way bigger and better than we are. So God in His providence appointed two forerunners to announce the same Messiah. Isn't that cool? The first one would be rejected, would lose his head, and then the Messiah would die. The second one will come in Revelation 11. You can see it. I think in Revelation 11, the two witnesses, one of them is Moses and the other is Elijah, will announce the coming, the second coming of the Messiah. And this time, he will come with fire. All of this was to fill God's divine plan to bring a Savior and a warrior king. You know, I got to thinking back on my Aslan illustration last week. And really, I I need to revamp it. It needs to be even better. And I I didn't do it. I don't think I could do it anyway. It really should, as strange as it sounds, it should be a lion and then a lamb. A lion and then a lamb. And you see it, and it should switch all the way to the end. Until you see this lion and lamb at the same time. Can't even picture it. Can't even illustrate it. Because that's what happened. That's who Jesus is. He's both the lamb that was slain. But he's also the lion who will come and bring fire. All of this is to fulfill God's divine plan. To bring a savior and king into the world. And to set things right. So, who was John? Well, here's who John was. Luke 1.17 tells us, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedience to the attitude of righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John was a forerunner who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, all to announce the king was here. His message was, repent and believe, for the kingdom is coming. The king is here. The kingdom is near and the king is here. But back to Matthew eleven eleven. Go back to our main verse. Jesus says these words. Truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what made John the Baptist great? What made him more than a prophet? No human had ever risen greater than John the Baptist. Answer. It was John's association with Jesus. This is it. This is the point. Was John the all-knowing prophet? No. Was he perfect? No. Was he the fulfillment of Scripture? Yes, but not fully. In that he was a foreshadowing of Elijah to come. But was he great? Yes. But what made John great? His association with Jesus. His relationship to Jesus. He was the one announcing Jesus is here. Anyone, by the way, and everyone who knows this king, this Messiah is great. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, now we're really going to shock you. (laughs) If you have repented and believed in Christ, and your heart has been changed, and you love Him, and you are looking to the kingdom, and you're a kingdom citizen now, guess what? You're great. (laughs) In a sense, you're greater than what John was at that moment. Right? Because the kingdom hadn't come. The Messiah hadn't died. (laughs) 
Wow, this is profound. Everyone who trusts in the king has all their sins paid for. And we're all going to enjoy the king forever and ever and ever. We're going to be with him in glory. What's our rank? We get to be in the kingdom. <laughs> and it's great. So we come to the main point and the primary invocation. For all of us, our standing, our rank, our position with God and in his kingdom is really all that matters. It's all that matters is how we relate to him. Whether we know him whether we enjoy Him, whether we believe in Him. We may end up a nobody in this world. We may be insignificant in terms of the news and riches and popularity. But if we know and embrace Jesus, our future is bright. <laughs> and for the record... Our rank, our position, our standing in the kingdom is not dependent on personal character or nature or how much we know. <laughs> it's all about our position in Christ, beloved. Are we with him and in him and is he in us? It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Have you repented and believed in Him? Are we delighting in Him? Or in this world? Are we seeking Him? Or the kingdoms of this world? As one commentator stated, the issue is one's position and function, not one's personal character and nature. Do you understand? If we're in Christ and we know Him and we're properly related to Him, that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter whether we have a giant bank account. It doesn't matter whether we're going to get our heads lopped off. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is whether we're rightly related to Christ. That's it. Well, you just don't know my circumstances. My bank account is so low. It doesn't matter. Ultimately. As one person told me just recently, do you understand that the blip of our life, the blip of our life, will literally look like a blip compared to eternity. There's so much to come to enjoy the king forever. What is it about us that we spend all of our lives making so much about that little blip when eternity's to come with the King? It's really all about Him and my right relation with Him. That's all that matters. And aren't you thankful that for some unknown reason He picks people like us? People, why us? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, why me? Why would you pick me? I'm a nobody. He picked this vacuum cleaner salesman for some unknown reason. To be his son. Adopted child of God. <laughs> what a glorious truth. I want to close with this last passage. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Because it just sets out so well. If you can understand who you are in Christ, beloved, you're a part of the kingdom to come. You're going to enjoy that. You can see this grace. Then all the things of this world become faintly dim. It just becomes so, oh, it's not that big of a deal. 1 Corinthians, this is perfect to close with. This is God's grace. This is his calling for those that believe in him. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For consider your calling, God's calling in your life, his effectual calling, brethren. 
that there were not many wise according to the flesh. Okay, what's that mean? He called people that were what? Not real smart. Let's just let's nail it down. How many are the not real smart people in the room? That'd be me. Praise God, right? Praise God. Not many mighty. <laughs> Don't want to do an arm wrestling with me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you probably do because you can beat me. It's not about how strong we are. Not very mighty. Not, boy, not very noble. <laughs> A vacuum cleaner salesman is about as low on the noble path, <laughs> occupation as you can possibly get. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of this world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. Wow, what a God, right? The kingdom is full of these kind of people. This is God. Why? What's the purpose? So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Who are the ones that are ranked great in the kingdom? Those who know the king. Were they special? Were they wise? Were they rich? Were they famous? No, they were a bunch of fishermen. And a man that wore camel's hair. And ate locusts. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for a God that saves foolish things like me and you, right? Sure, I'm glad that he spared some crumbs for us Gentiles. I'm the dog that's feasting on the crumbs. How about you? And sure am thankful for a Lord and Savior that came into the world, was rejected by his own, so that me and you could live with him in eternity. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. (laughs) You are so, so much bigger than anything we can comprehend. We boast in you. We boast in your grace. We boast in your power. We boast in your glory. You take the base things of this world and you save them. And you convert us. And for this, we will worship you forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Lord, that you've made it about knowing you not how good we are. That you've made it about knowing you, not how smart we are. Thank you, Lord, that it's about Jesus, not about us. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.